I'm Father Ron Shipley, founder and director of the Anglican Internet Church, and I welcome you to episode three in the fourth edition of the New Testament Gospels and AIC Bible Study video series. In episode three, I continue discussion of St. Matthew's genealogy of Jesus and begin discussion of Matthew's theme of the life of Jesus Christ as fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. At the end of the episode, I will point out where material presented in Episode 3 is discussed in the new AIC Bookstore publication, The Gospel of Matthew, Annotated and Illustrated, scheduled for publication in the first half of A.D. 2021. At the end of Episode 2, I noted that there were four women named in the genealogy, two of whom were not Jews. Their presence in the genealogy suggests a universality of ethnic origin and a broader understanding of the word righteous than that of the practices of the Pharisees. The four are Tamar, Rahab, the Canaanite, Ruth the Moabite, and the wife of Uriah, more commonly known as Bathsheba. The illustration Matthew writing his gospel is an illumination in tempera and gold on parchment from the Lindisfarne Gospels, thought to be the oldest gospel book made in England, produced in Northumbria in northeast England around the end of the 7th century. St. Matthew writes with a quill pen as a winged man, the traditional symbol of St. Mark and a bearded man with a halo look on from manuscript Nero D4, folio 25V, in the British Library, London, England. The first of the four is Tamar, whose name means palm, but is also translated as enduring beauty in the NKJV Study Bible. In some editions of the King James Version, the name is spelled with an H. The account of Tamar's scandalous and complicated relationship and the accusations against her concerning Judah and his two sons is described in Genesis chapter 38. She bore a son, Perez, by Judah. Judah said she was more righteous than himself in verse 26 because she did what God asked of her. She is named in the royal context in Ruth, chapter 4, verse 12. The illustration is an oil on canvas painted by Emile Horace, Emile Jean Horace Vernet in 1840 A.D. and now part of the Wallace Collection in London, England. The second of the four women is Rahab, or Rahab, the Canaanite harlot who aided Joshua by hiding two of his spies from the king of Jericho in the conquest of Jericho described in Joshua 2 and 3, the first book of the Old Testament histories. The name is commonly spelled in the, in the King James Version R-A-C-H-A-B. She cites the Lord's history with the Jewish people and declares of the Hebrew God, Hebrews God in Judges chapter 2, verses 11b, 
He is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. The third woman in St. Matthew's genealogy of Jesus is Ruth, a Gentile of Moab, who lived during the period of the judges and before the kingship of David. She married Boaz, whose son Jesse was the father of King David. The illustration is an oil on canvas painted by the noted German Bible illustrator Julius Schnorr von Karlsfeld in 1828 A.D. from the collection of the National Gallery in London, England. The fourth and last of the four women in St. Matthew's genealogy is the wife of Uriah. The wife of Uriah the Hittite is not named in St. Matthew's Gospel. As noted in the introduction, she's better known as Bathsheba, with whom King David had an adulterous relationship. After King David's manipulations led to Uriah's death on the battlefield, David married Bathsheba to hide his previous relationship with her. Bathsheba and David begat David's successor, Solomon. The Lord punished David for his sin in denying him the right to build the Lord's temple on Mount Zion. For details, see the account in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. The magnitude of David's sin is made clear in his confession, better known as Psalm 51. To the scholars of the New King James Study Bible, St. Matthew's intended message in this genealogy is the inclusion, in the inclusion of these four women, is that God's mercy and the right to the line of succession from Abraham to Joseph can be granted even to the most sinful people and not just to Jews or to those who meet the narrow definition of righteousness that was practiced in the first century era by the Pharisees. Jesus' sharp criticism of the Pharisees is another theme of St. Matthew's Gospel, as I will discuss in a later episode. The third major theme of the Gospel of St. Matthew is the birth and life of Jesus Christ as fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. St. Matthew repeatedly used the phrase that it might be fulfilled which was spoken which first occurs in chapter 1, verse 22. Early church icons of St. Matthew and the 19th century reproduction of an, of an older icon show him holding a jewel gospel book which bears the legend, this is the story of the birth of Jesus Christ. For the remainder of this episode, and in episode 4 and part of episode 5, I'm going to discuss specific examples. Having established the claim to royal status by descent from Father Abraham through King David to Joseph in verses 1 to 17, St. Matthew then undertakes to make the connection to the divine, emphasizing both the connection between the birth of Jesus and Old Testament prophecy with this introduction in verses 18 to 21. The illustration is an 11th century Byzantine-style mosaic discovered in May of 2016 A.D. during a restoration of the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was 
was betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The word betrothed in verse 18 has nearly the equivalent, but not the same meaning as marriage. The closest word in modern English would be engaged, but even that word alone would not give an accurate picture of the legal relationship between Joseph and Mary. When Joseph, who had not had a sexual relationship while betrothed to Mary, was concerned when he learned that she was pregnant. He could have reported her to Jewish authorities for punishment, and he could have, as St. Matthew wrote in verse 19b, quote, put her away secretly, that is, hidden her from the authorities. Matthew tells us that Joseph was a just man, which means he was righteous, both under the technical meaning of the Mosaic law, but also in the sense of personal fairness and compassion. The illustration for this and the next several slides is an opaque watercolor over graphite on gray wove paper by James Tissot from his Life of Christ series painted between 1886 and 1894 AD from the collection of the Brooklyn Museum. Joseph's dilemma was resolved when an angel, from the Greek word angelos, meaning messenger, came to him in a dream. In St. Matthew's narrative, the angel acknowledges Joseph's descent from King David, calling him son of David, again reinforcing the claim to royal lineage. Jesus' divine origin is asserted in verse 20b in the angel's statement to Joseph concerning the Holy Spirit. This child, as shown in the discussion of the genealogy of Jesus, was the legal son of Joseph in the line of David. And this is further revealed, and he is further revealed as the child of the Holy Spirit in verse 20b, that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. In the final verse, the unnamed angel of the Lord asserts the purpose of the incarnation with the, a verse underlined, And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. With this groundwork laid in the introduction, St. Matthew boldly connects Jesus' coming birth with the prophet Isaiah's virgin birth prophecy broadly connecting the event to God's divine plan for mankind in the opening verse and the underlining in the slides I have added. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, 
and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. For those viewers and listeners who are not Anglican, we prefer the spelling of Emmanuel with an E as in E-M-M-A-N-U-E-L. Verses 22 and 23 are evidence for the interpretation that St. Matthew's Gospel was directed primarily to those Jews in the mid-first century who, has not, who had not become Christians. The statement would have meant nothing to a Gentile who had no understanding of the God of the Hebrew nation and no knowledge of the Hebrew Old Testament. Note, please, that St. Matthew makes no explicit statement concerning the prophecy of a virgin birth like that in Luke 1.27, and we'll talk about that in the discussion of the Gospel of Luke. The importance of this quotation from Isaiah was demonstrated much later by the Masoretic scholars of Judaism in their reconstruction of the lost books of Hebrew Scripture. The quotation in St. Matthew's account came from the Greek Septuagint version in which Parthenos meant virgin. See the second and third lines of the Isaiah Mosaic, and you will see the word Parthenos in Greek. The Masoretic translation, completed in the 9th century, changed the translation from the Hebrew word Alma and translated it as young woman. In the remaining verses, 24 and 25, we learn that Joseph was obedient and did as he was instructed by the angel. He, quote, took to him his wife, in verse 25, and did not know her until after the birth of Jesus, meaning they had no physical relationship. Eastern Church scholars are careful to point out that the reference in verse 25 to firstborn son does not demonstrate in and of itself, that Mary had other children. Firstborn means only that there was a birth, and it was the first. Christian tradition, formulated at the Council of Ephesus in 431 AD, is that Mary is entitled to be called Mother of God, or Theotokos, literally God-bearer as she is shown in the 14th century Russian Orthodox icon, which hung in the narthex at my parish before my retirement. In both the Eastern and Roman Catholic traditions, she is also known by two other titles, Ever Virgin and Most Blessed. I've talked about the fulfillment of prophecy in the actual birth of Jesus Christ in St. Matthew's Nativity narrative. Now I turn to other examples of the fulfillment of prophecy taken in chronological order beginning with St. Matthew's infancy narrative, starting with Herod's conference with his chief priests and scribes in St. Matthew's account of the visit of the wise men in Matthew 2, verses 1 to 12. The prophecy also relates to St. Matthew's kingship theme and indirectly to the shepherd theme in St. John's Gospel. When the, quote, wise men from the east, unquote, came to Jerusalem, Herod called them to him and demanded to know where this king of the Jews, whose star they had seen, was to be found. Curiously, St. Matthew does not relate the star 
to the Messiah prophecy in Balaam's fourth vision in Numbers 24, verse 17, a star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel. After the wise men had departed, the chief priests and scribes answered Herod's question, saying, So they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, For thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. The Old Testament quotation is Micah chapter 5, verse 2, and the illustration is an 18th century temperer and gilt-on-panel full-length portrait of the prophet Micah from the Iconostasis at the Church of the Transfiguration, a summer church at Kiji Monastery in far northern Karelia, Russia. The next reference to fulfillment of prophecy references are St. Matthew's accounts of the Holy Family's flight to Egypt, in which St. Joseph was once again visited by an angel in a dream. The unnamed angel warns Joseph to flee with the Holy Family to safety in Egypt, in chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. St. Joseph again obeyed the angel's instruction. And here is St. Matthew's account. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by the night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. In Christian doctrine, Jesus, the Son of God, is the new Israel, a New Testament parallel to the Israelites, who were the sons of God in the Old Testament. The illustration is an early 14th century tempera and wood on panel portrait of the prophet Hosea, painted by noted artist Duzio di Buoninsena between 1308 and 1311 A.D. for a church in Siena, Italy. The next occasion arises in St. Matthew's account in verses uh, chapter 2, verses 16 to 18, which is of Herod's reaction to learning that he had been deceived by the wise men who had failed to tell him where the infant could be found. He ordered the death of all male children under the age of two. St. Matthew tied the slaughter of the children to the prophecy of Jeremiah 31.15, which was the story of Israel led away into captivity in Babylon. Then was fulfilled which, what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. The illustration is a larger-than-life mid-19th century mosaic of the prophet Jeremiah on the exterior of the Basilica of St. Paul outside the walls in Rome, Italy. The Orthodox Study Bible, New Testament, and Psalms notes that Herod's act parallels the Pharaoh's attempted murder of male children at the time of the birth of Moses and described in Exodus 1, verses 16 and 22. Many modern revisionist scholars deny that Herod ordered such a mass murder, attributing the story to what they call St. Matthew's strong anti-Semitism. The death 
of the Holy Innocents is honored in the Anglican Church calendar in the Feast of the Holy Innocents celebrated annually on December 28th. The final incident in St. Matthew's Nativity narrative is his account of the return of the Holy Family from Egypt in Matthew 2, verses 19 to 23. In another dream visit, the unnamed angel tells Joseph that Herod is dead and that it, that it was safe to return to Israel. After a short diversion into Galilee, the family arrived at Nazareth, as described in verse 23. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. There are conflicting interpretations of what scriptural verse St. Matthew was referring to. One school believes that it comes from Isaiah's prophecy of the branch from the stem of Jesse in Isaiah 11 verse 1 because the Hebrew word for branch is neser. An alternative interpretation is that his reference is to a Nazirite with an I who is mentioned in Judges 13 verse 7. Nazirite comes from the Hebrew Nazir. It is clear that when Jews of the first century said someone was from Nazareth, it was meant as an insult because the city was looked upon with disfavor. Many early followers of Jesus called themselves Nazarenes, a term displaced by the more popular name Christian, which was used for the first time by those in the church at Antioch established by St. Paul. This concludes my discussion of the fulfillment of prophecy in St. Matthew's Nativity narrative. Other AIC resources on topics discussed in this episode are from the Great O. Antiphon's seasonal video series for the final seven days of Advent season. The key phrase for December 20th is O. Radix Jesse or Root of Jesse. For December 23rd, O Rex Gentium, or King of Nations, and December 25th, O Emmanuel, or God with us. From Christmas, the Nativity of Our Lord, the return from Egypt from Matthew 2, 19-23 is discussed in Episode 2. In the Twelve Days of Christmas, Obedience is the subject of episode 5, and angels is the subject of episode 9. From Epiphany, the manifestation of Christ to the Gentiles, the visit of the wise men from Matthew 2, 1-12 is discussed in episode 2. From the lives of the saints, from the first series, St. John is the focus of episode 4. St. Matthew of episode 14, and St. Luke of episode 15. From the AIC Bookstore Publications, our newest work, The Gospel of Matthew, Annotated and Illustrated, topics discussed in this episode are found in the discussions of ch in chapter 1 and chapter 2, which include the four women named in the genealogy of Jesus, the Nativity of Christ as Fulfillment of the Virgin Birth Prophecy of Isaiah, the Visit of the Wise Men, or Magi, and the, and the Nazirite Prophecy.
the visit of the Magi is depicted in two beautiful tempera and gold illuminations from the early 11th century. From Layman's Lexicon, words and phrases of interest are the entries for angels slash archangels, Blessed Virgin Mary, Ecumenical Councils, Holy Spirit, Jesus, Kingdom, Mercy slash Merciful, Righteous slash Righteousness, and Shepherd. From the prayer book Psalter, History, Text, and Commentary, King David's Confession, which is Psalm 51, and how it is used in Anglican worship is discussed on pages 120 to 122. In the writings of the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah is discussed in Part 2, Chapter 1, pages 13 to 21, and you'll also find the text box Isaiah in Christian Liturgy on page 16. The prophet Jeremiah is discussed in Part 2, Chapter 2, pages 22 to 28, with the text box Jeremiah in Christian Liturgy found on page 24. The prophet Hosea is discussed in Part 3, Chapter 2, pages 61 to 64. And the prophet Micah in Part 3, Chapter 6, pages 87 to 92, including a text box, Micah in Right Worship, on page 91. Finally, Father Ron's blog, featuring information on the latest projects, videos, and publications. Entries usually include an illustration from the featured series. You can reach the blog by clicking the links at either the top or the bottom of the page or entering the direct URL address you see on the screen. The word blog is case sensitive and must be in small letters only. By clicking on the Follow Anglican Internet Church legend in the right-hand column and afterward entering your email address, you can receive notice of each new posting from our site host, wordpress.com. We do not share email information with any other organization. Thank you for joining me for Episode 3 of the New Testament Gospels. Next time, in Episode 4, I will continue my discussion of St. Matthew's theme of the life of Jesus Christ as fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies, but also focus on events during Jesus' adult years. Until next time, may the Lord bless and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be merciful to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Glory be to God for all things. Amen. This program has been a presentation of the Anglican Internet Church. We invite you to visit our website and use its resources at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net.